This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Hello, everybody. It is end of October. Can you believe it? Um, It is the end of October, and it is coming up close to Halloween. But before we get too much in Halloween, I wanted to tell everybody to please be safe out there this weekend when they go trick-or-treating or whatever they plan to do, stay at home, watch movies, hang out with the family. And if you do plan to stay home with the family and not go out trick-or-treating, I have a wonderful book for you to read. And it is by a wonderfully dear friend of mine named Jeannie Moon, who is an award-winning and best-selling author. She's a Long Island um, native Long Islander and imagines that um, that conjures Big images of big hair and nasally accents, but that's not the Long Island she knows. She was raised in the North Shore that once would have been called uh, very cool, but now it's called very trendy, and she married her high school sweetheart. Her children were born in the same hospital she was, so she has very deep roots there and knows about community and family, which she brings into her wonderful stories. Um, She is a wife a grandma, a, a teacher, a librarian, an author, who, and all of those things she wraps into her characters, and just an all-around fabulous person. So her latest book, Christmas in Angel Harbor, is out now. You can find Jeannie on her website, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and BookBub. Welcome to the show, Jeannie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this book and talk to you. It's been a while. so um. It has. Well, you know, we talk a lot per Facebook, you know, back and yep. forth on private message, but um, it's always good to hear someone's voice. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. wonderful. I know, but I think we're all spinning out of control with the lives. I mean, you with your kids and me with the day job and, you know, the family and the books. It's just like, I'm like, oh, I just need to settle down and actually talk to people. And I think sometimes we forget about that. Um, Yeah. And it's, you know, it's something we miss um, with the busyness of our lives. So I'm really happy um, to be talking about a book and hope, uh, hope this can help people, you know, just find some time to settle a little bit. And the cover is beautiful. And, you know, yeah, Chile, really they always do beautiful covers. And we're very mm-hmm. fortunate as authors for them because Jane Porter and Megan Farrell and, and everybody involved, is, is they have always appreciate the, re, the response from the authors for covers, which is mm-hmm. not a typical thing. Not all publishers no. will. Um, but, I mean, they really just knocked it out of the park on this one. Yeah, they really did. And when I saw the mock-up from the cover designer, um, it really just took my breath away. Um, they had asked my input, which, again, you always get the art fact sheet. Um, I don't know if people know that, but authors get something called an art fact sheet from their editors or from the from the art department, and they want to know how you envision your cover. And I will say, in most cases, the cover never comes out how you envision it. Um, you sure. can put down all of the information you want on that art fact sheet, whomever you're writing for. And unless you're a really big name, um, big advance author, you're not necessarily going to get a lot of input. But one of the things that Thule does for us is they give us a lot of input on the covers because they feel as though we're as invested in this as um, as anybody else. And, and it's, it has to come from our heart as well as theirs. So um, I always yeah. appreciate it. But really, honestly, I didn't have to say a thing. This cover came out just as I imagined it. And it it's just, yeah, it's stunning. It really is. People just go, oh, my gosh, it's so beautiful. And it really <laughs> is. And I hope it hope it depicts the, the book inside. That's really 
That's yeah, really all so I tell want. Us, tell us how you came up with the story. Well, first things first, I wanted to write a seasoned romance. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to write a romance about characters over 40 um, because it's one of the areas in our genre that just is still getting pushed to the side. It's getting better, but people seem to think that if you're over 40, um, romance doesn't happen to you. Now, granted, I've been married mm-hmm. a long time, so I didn't, you know, that's not an issue for me, but I'd hate to think that if I wasn't married, that if I'm 40, I'm done. Um, right. So, and there are a lot of people out there who are looking for love, and why shouldn't they have it? And it's our, our readership, um, our demographic in romance is not just 20-year-olds. Um, the bulk of the readers are between 40 and 65, Mm-hmm. So why shouldn't they have stories? Um, there's There was some real solid ageism in the industry, and it's starting to crumble a little. So that was first. The second thing is, is that the inspiration is actually a small town on the North Shore, not far from where I live, called Northport. And Long Island is broken into towns, townships, and inside those townships are small towns. Um, with main streets and villages and their own personalities. And um, and people don't think about that way, about Long Island. Like I said, there's a lot of stereotypes that go along with it. You either think of, you know, the Long Island Expressway or the Hamptons. You know, you don't yeah. think about the fact that really we're a bunch of small towns strung together on this sandbar that juts out <laughs> into the Atlantic Ocean. And each town has its own personality. So Northport is just a really cool little village. It's set right on the water. Um, You come in through this one road called Woodbine Avenue, and then Main Street um, connects to that um, in in a perpendicular fashion. But if you look down Main Street, you can look right out at the harbor. And it was a seafaring village. Um, And it it still has the old trolley tracks embedded into the pavement oh, wow. um, on Main amazing. Street that used to take people up to the Long Island Railroad Station um, not too far away. Um, the buildings are old. Um, the, a lot of the um, the stores have been established a long time. Um, people stay there. Um, yeah. They have their roots very deep. And I wanted to write this story. I wanted to set something there. Um, I've, I've, set, I've set books on Long Island before, my Compass Cove series, but this one... This one needed something special, and I always thought this, the town needed a bookstore. It doesn't have one, so I figured, well, mm-hmm. why not? I'm gonna I'm gonna create a bookstore and a wonderful season romance, and it grew from there. Wow! And you know, it's fun because you've got all these different things. I mean, in it, you've got just the hometown feel and and mm-hmm. how they you express the the people and the traditions and the food, and I mean, all of that is so wonderfully wrapped and so you've got the setting so tell me about the people oh the people um well (laughs) like i said i wanted my older characters and um jane fallon who's my heroine she just really she just came to life really quickly um i i saw her as this woman who wanted who, who had had dreams of her own but they were foiled. So think almost like it's a wonderful life. Um, sure. You know, with George Bailey, and he, ha- he, he took over the building alone, and, and, but he had plans. Well, Jane has a similar thing. She thought she was going to go 
you know, travel the world and discover great new things. She was an archaeologist and, you know, had her education planned out. And then her father died. And she she came home to run the bookstore that had been in town since the 30s. And it was the family okay. store. But the thing I love about Jane is she's not a sad sack. You know, sure. she... Yeah, things didn't work out the way she thought they were going to, but she has a wonderful outlook on life. And I wanted that to come through, that people can be resilient and they can roll with the punches. And Jane did. Um, so people right. might say, well, where's the conflict in this? Well, the conflict is, is that her life is threatened. Her lifestyle, her 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 business, her her existence, you know, the thing that she's invested so much in ends up being threatened and you know, so and then she starts to wonder, well, what impact have I made? And don't we all think that way? Don't we all wonder sure. what am I doing? How am I making yeah. an impact? How do I matter? Do I make a difference? Um and our hero, Danny Gallo, comes in and, and it's a second chance romance, a a reunion story if you will, and he's had fame and fortune in his life, and he, but he comes home because he realizes it's very hollow, um, right? His his fame, and so he comes home because he wants to reboot and t- and change direction, and he and Jane reconnect, and he's the one that ends up really showing her what she means not only to him but to everybody else. So it's yeah. you know that whole that whole wonderful vibe that vibe that you see. You do make a difference, and every little thing we do makes a difference. And yeah. I think sometimes and, and people forget that. They do, and I and and I think this probably hit hard the last several months because mm-hmm. I, I know that there was this idea that oh, all these things that I've wanted to do, I can do now. You know, I can mm-hmm. lose fifty pounds, I can learn to play guitar with my feet, and, and you know, all these, <laughs> these things. And then um, maybe we didn't lose 50 pounds, maybe we gained 15 and no. the guitar is still in the case. Right. So yeah. it's, um, it, but it's one of those things that you say, okay, but what positive things have I done and reevaluating? And I think we do forget what we, the positive impacts we make, even if it seems like a very small thing to us, right. it could be huge to someone else. Exactly. And I think it's about perspective and mm-hmm. so much of, what we see in Jane is how she manages perspective and um, how she does it well. Um, but mm-hmm. I think this was one of the advantages of writing an older character is that there's a wisdom that comes with it um, mm-hmm. that you don't have in your 20s. And it's no offense to 20-year-olds, but you sure. don't um, because you just don't have the years behind you. And I remember one of the most liberating things that happened to me is when I turned 50, Um, And it wasn't like, ooh, magical, you're 50. But there was something very settling about it. And knowing what I know and and being able to look back at what I've accomplished and being able to take a look at the things that I've done and the people I've helped and the people who know me and the relationships I've made and be able to say, yeah, I'm good, I'm okay. And, Yeah. yeah, things don't always go how they're supposed to, but... That's life. So right. when she gets this curveball thrown at her, we definitely see her reel from it and question and and think, now what am I going to do? But we also see somebody who who doesn't crumble under pressure. And right. I think that was most important. Somebody said to me, I just don't want to read any more doormats. I said, no doormat here. Not even a, not yeah. even a little bit. 
you know, not even Well, a and little. I think, too, there's that confidence that we get. I, I know that when I was first a nurse, I, was, I, I became a nurse in my mid-20s, and I was afraid of a lot of stuff. Um, did I do mm-hmm. things right? Am I going to, you know, very intimidated by um, more educated people within the medical field. Um, and then I learned after a couple of years that I had an immense amount of power, um, by one doing a job well, but also being able to stand up and say, okay, well, if that's the way you're going to do that, I'll be sure and document it just like what you said. And, Mm -hmm. and the, the, the difference would be, oh, okay, well, hold on. You know, it's like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) let's work together for this. Right. And so it's that feeling like you're talking about of that, the sense of wisdom and, and that empowerment mm-hmm. that comes with experience because, yes. you know, we all get to the point. It's like, um, okay, well we can do this. I mean, I don't particularly want to, but I'm not afraid to. So exactly. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and she's facing changes. Her daughter's going to go off to college. Her mother's deciding to retire. So she's everything about what she's dealing with is in flux. And then sure. she gets hit with something else. So it's, it's she, her life is, is, in a, a state of change, and mm-hmm. and I guess the the other thing I want to show is that you know love comes when you least expect it, mm-hmm. and love you know that whole idea of love conquers all. I don't want to be that I don't know trite about it. Yeah, but it does help give you a lot of times if you know you're not alone, it can give you the strength to move forward. Sure, and. It's, I think that's it. And we have a mother's love. We have the love she has as a daughter and then the romantic love that comes later on in her life. And um, I, the, I, I saw a review, and I think one of the nicest things I saw was that the, the reviewer said, this book just recognizes that people over 50 fall in love. There are no excuses. There's no justification for it. It's just mm-hmm. part of life, and it's wonderful that that's the way it's done. And that's what I wanted. That was what I wanted. Yeah. I just wanted it to be just normal, you know, because people are people, and it doesn't matter if you're 25 or 35 or 55 or 75. Love will mm-hmm. find you if you let it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's really the thing. And Jane had this big heart, and and it found her, you know. She, she, you know, she'd put a lot of good out into the world and good came back to her. So. Well, and I wish, you know, my husband and I have talked about this. I wish that English had the different um, versions of, or the different words for love, like, the, is it mm-hmm. Greek? They have, like, I don't know, six or seven have, or ten yeah, or something. Yeah, there are many different lot. words for love because it depends right. on the type of love you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. So you're talking about a mother's love and, and you know, mm-hmm. and then the love of, of, of romance or, or from a lover and, and, and all mm-hmm. those things. And I think that, you know, when we talk about falling in love, if there were other words to describe it versus the all-encompassing word of, well, mm-hmm. I love pizza. It's like, well, okay, mm-hmm. pe- people over 50 fall in love. Okay. Well, no, I mean, think about that. So it's it's important to understand the the level so um and you did that you you threaded you know wove this beautiful story and and a woman who knew who she was things got a little out of of whack she was able to deal with that and have this beautiful um new new life or new addition a new layer to it and so what was the most 
what was the first scene you wrote in this book? Like when you were thinking of the story, it's like I have to write a scene here or with this or what was that? Oh, I'm a very linear writer. Like I have to go, I almost have to go beginning to end. (laughs) I'm I'm one of them. Um, So I actually (laughs) did write the first thing. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I like people say, well, just write anything, write it out of order. And I'm going, I can't do that. Like that would make me nuts. Um, (laughs) But no, I actually, um, I, I actually love the first line of this book. Um, And it's, November on Long Island, um, what was it? Something about, I, God, now I can't even remember it. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, so, but it was, I wrote it from Danny's point of view because he was the one coming back into town. And it was, it was, um, you know, he was taking a run. And what I wanted to do was establish the scene. I wanted to right. drop people into this town and give them a sense of where they were. Because I thought that was really important. Um, when you write small town stories, the town becomes a character into and of itself. So right. it was important for me to create the scene. Um, November on Long Island was, was unpredictable, kind of like a woman. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what it was. <laughs> the weather on Long Island in November was unpredictable, kind of like a woman. And so he was taking his run, and he looked at Main Street. He was coming down the hill, and he smelled you know, the bacon and eggs cooking in this favorite deli from that was still there from when he was younger. And, um, you know, he stopped in to get an egg sandwich, but he saw the bookstore as he looked up Main Street. And he, you know, he remembered his time there. He he honed his craft as a teen. And, um, and so I wanted to set the town up in that mm-hmm. first scene. And that was important to me because the town came to life. Um, you know, and I created some great little stores and some characters that are screaming for their own stories now. So I have to, yeah. I'm going to have to see when I can do those. But, um, you know, I had, I, I, I created this great bakery called Sweet Chemistry. And people say, well, how do you think of these things? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, honestly, I'm sitting there writing along, and I need a name for the place. And I'm going, well, my my baker is a former industrial chemist who decided, okay. and I think the line was, she liked she liked mixing butter and sugar rather than polymers or something along those lines. And... So I was like, oh, well, we'll just call the bakery Sweet Chemistry. Mm-hmm. Because what is baking really but chemistry? It's, exactly. it's the combining of ingredients to create a reaction that creates something else. So, you know, you put things together, you have a catalytic reaction, and then you get cookies. So, That's right. So we called it Sweet Chemistry. So um, I had some fun with that, too, and, and you know, with food, because there's always food there's always oh, yeah. food in my books. I'm Italian, and food is love. <laughs> and well, so I have to, I'm going to have to ask you for your gnocchi recipe soon because every time I try <laughs> and make it, I end up with this massive amount of of pasta because I right. can't ever seem to get the right balance of flour and potatoes. Gnocchi's um, crazy. I've like honestly, I tried to make it once and I got blobs. It's just. <laughs> I'll ask my cousin for her gnocchi recipe because she's got a really good one. So, um, but yeah, I've never been able to master it. Um, I'm more, I, I'm very good with like, you know, you give me, um, 
pile of ingredients and say this you have to make dinner out of this and I'm like oh okay <laughs> I'm oh. like um, I'll I'll just right you know on. whatever you put you pile some sausage and some pasta and some vegetables and like I'm like okay I'm good like I'll, I got it. I'll yeah. make you something um <laughs> But yeah, and and I like to bake. I do like to bake. So I actually published on my website um Sweet Chemistry's chocolate chip cookies. Um mm-hmm. and there is a killer good recipe for chocolate chip cookies on my website. Um with or without nuts if you prefer. Um because right. I happen to like nuts in my chocolate chip cookies. Um pecans or pecans if you're from the south. Um I know all my southern friends cringe when I say pecans. So I'll say <laughs> pecans. <laughs> It really depends on what part of the South you're in. <laughs> I know, but I have this one friend who's from Georgia, and she's like, it's pecans, pecans, and I'm going, it's pecans. I was like, pecans. So we have a little bit of fun with that. I said, oh, or man, if you really funny. want me to do I'll say pecans and say like a real New Yorker. So, oh, right? <laughs> I can do that. I can twang up if you need me to, but that's all right. Right. It's funny because we're still we, trying to uh, figure out how my granddaughter says she because none of us really have heavy New York accents because we grew up here and and sure. it, they've faded over time. My granddaughter though she's 22 months. The dog, the it's the dog, and I'm going. Where did she get the dog? I go. Next thing she's going to be saying is mad. Let's take the dog to get some coffee. Like, <laughs> right? I don't know. I had a friend of mine in college. Yeah. I had a friend of mine in college who his sister was marrying a guy from New York, and um, mm-hmm. so they kept joking with her, saying, "And we were at University of Texas, and so they kept mm-hmm. we kept joking with her, saying, you know, when are you going to lose the Texas accent because you're up, you know, you're in New York City all the time.' And so she's like, "Oh, I'll never lose my accent." And um, he asked her something, and she went, "Sure," and he went, Excuse "Sure, me? <laughs> sure." Of she course. said, "Sure." He's like, mm-mm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know. And the thing is, if you go into Manhattan, most people talk like this. They have that classic mid-Atlantic English. Um, mm-hmm. Most people who grew up in New York City, in Manhattan, unless they grew up in one of the boroughs, like Brooklyn has a very distinctive accent. So does the Bronx. It's just part of it. And it, it comes from the British and the French and the, the, right. and the Dutch that were all all there. It all kind of grew out of that. But Manhattan, because it was really the 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 home of the upper crust, you know, if you right. if you were on Fifth Avenue or wherever, it's like the the old established New Yorkers are still gonna talk like their jaws are locked. Mm-hmm. You know, they have that mid Atlantic Catherine Hepburn English going on. And so people are like, why don't they talk like they're from New York? And go, they do. I go, that's exactly <laughs> how they talk. I was like, yeah. and I talk like a, a a North Shore Long Islander whose father's family has been here since the 20s. So, you know, that's it. It's just everybody in my high school spoke the way I did. It's, you know, people are like, you don't sound like you're from New York. I'm going, what am I supposed to sound like? I know. I know, it, it's interesting you know. how people interpret um, different mm-hmm. things when we went over. We got to go to Europe a couple of years ago, and, and mm-hmm. people uh, were expecting, I guess, um, like a classic bad oh, American traveler. Oh, Texas, I guess, right? Right. And yeah. I very much worked on making sure I spoke French and 
toned everything mm-hmm. down. But it's it's very it's very fascinating. The they're all yeah. oh you're from Texas. It's like it's its own it's its own universe. You mm-hmm. know exactly. And people say that yeah. oh you're from Long Island, and I'm going nobody mm-hmm. says that. Okay. <laughs> nobody says that. So yeah. it's it's just fun, but it is fun to set it in my in my hometown in the sure. area that I know so well. And it was funny because I I never thought I was. I think, oh, well, I can write anywhere, and maybe I'll set a book in California. And I, and originally my Compass Cove book was set in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And I had a very good friend who's an author who said, it's great, but it's on the wrong coast. You're looking at the wrong yeah. ocean. You have to move it back home. She said, these characters are not from the Pacific Northwest. They're from New York. They're from New England. Mm-hmm. They're not from here. And she was from there. And it's just, I was like, Why? Why do we avoid it? Because really, it's quite charming. It really is a very lovely right. place. Right. I mean, we're and taking. Kind of like we going have back, a, we have, yeah, it's kind of going ahead. back to I'm your sorry. perspective of, of, you know, being twenty and having all the answers mm-hmm. and knowing everything, and then having a perspective, different perspective when you're in your forties. It's like, oh, right. well, all that stuff. It, it was, it was pretty good. You know, it wasn't. Yeah, it is. Anything. Yeah. So for sure, to to kind of yeah. interlace it. Mm-hmm. We were, and it, and we it have makes a, a difference. Yeah, yeah. Ahead, we have a pool in our backyard, and it's it's old and and it's a semi in ground and and so we were thinking, okay, we have to redo the deck and we have to do the pool. And I was talking to my husband about it and the budget and everything else, and I said, let's just fill it in. Let's just we're done. Let's just fill it in. And so I was mm-hmm. talking to my daughter, and she said, oh well, the kids would have used it and all that. I said, Julie, we live ten minutes from a beach. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need a pool. <laughs> I said, right. we live 20 minutes from the ocean. I said, we don't need a pool. Yeah. So she said, oh, well, yeah. yeah, you're right. We don't. And I was like, I was like, we're good. We're fine. So I said, I'll put up a sprinkler for them. It'll be okay. Right. So. Well, and when you have little ones like that, I, I'm always nervous around a pool. I oh, mean, of course. Just, yeah, no. I of just, course. Uh, fill it in. Let them play in the dirt. They, they'll be fine. Well, that's they'll have a good time. You know, we're gonna we're just gonna put up a swing set at some point, and you know that's it. But she was, you know, it was funny, and I was like, we have a we have beaches, we have beaches, we have we have the ocean. I said it's fine. I said we can let them take them to the beach and let them fish for minnows. I said on the North Shore, it's fine. And she said, right. Oh, you're right, we do. I said we forget. I said, and that is much healthier. I said, then dunking their head in chlorine. I said, at this point, if we have the option, so I said, it's. I think it's. I think it's fine. So she she agreed. And I, but it's like you know we're so conditioned for all these controlled environments that we forget sometimes all the wonderful things we have around us. Like right. we don't need to go and you know go and walk on a treadmill because we actually have some beautiful state parks very close by that we can take nature walks right out to the coast mm-hmm. or do a boardwalk walk. Like we don't, we don't have to control every single environment because we actually have a really beautiful environment to live in. And I think well, that's one of the things that bringing my stories home did is it forced me to really look at where I lived and say, wow, like I get, I get to live. It's not that I have to live here. I get to live here. Right. And right. I think that changes your perspective, too. And there have been a lot of people who've commented, local people who've said, you forced me to take another look at where we live and learn to appreciate it. And so have you had like, anybody ah. come up and have you had anybody come up and say, 
Well, I know where that is, but that doesn't go next to it. I mean, I know that, you know, oh, you've yeah. got your own town. But, that, I mean, but, it, yeah. but that's when I go, but it's fiction. I'll, I'll say, right. yeah, I think it's fiction. And they'll go, but there's no store like this in town. I go, no, there's not. <laughs> but in my town there is, so it's fine. Yes. Um, you write your book. Yeah, but there are a couple of people who read, it ahead, who read it ahead of time who said, God, we really do need a bookstore in town. Maybe you should open one. I'm just like, right, in my next life. I go, you know, I was like, I'd love to, but uh, maybe if the lottery drops out of the sky on me, I'll I'll do that. But I can't right, right now. <laughs> we can add eight more hours to the day. So yeah. Right. And, you know, and, the, you know, some massive capital influx <laughs> to do that. But it's. Yeah, it's um but yes, it definitely that would be like my dream right now if I could do it. If if all the stars aligned, I was like I would so put a bookstore in that town. I would and I know exactly where I'd put it too. I wow. know the space that's available right now that I would I would absolutely do it. Like I would say, Oh, this one yeah. right here. Right there. Yeah, there's yeah. a spot near me too that I'm just like chomping at the bit and it's in a, a strip mm-hmm. mall and it was a it was a charming Charlie's. So it was like right on the corner. It's got all of these windows, mm-hmm. and it's even got a pink door. Okay. Oh wow. And I'm, I know, and I'm just like, oh, you know, it, there's, there's no way. It, it's, this is an old again, house yeah. that's attached to a large building in the back. That mm-hmm. so the front looks like a like a, a house storefront with big windows, and I was like, oh, and there's this little alcove off. I said, this would be the perfect children's room right here. Mm-hmm. But it used to be a hardware store. Oh, and, uh, the hardware store, they retired. The people had this hardware store for like 90 years, and they retired. So and that's it. But wow. I was like, yeah, my next, if, if, like I said, if the lottery, you know, falls on my head, and, you know, I can do that. I will have a romance bookstore in the middle of Northport. Why and, not? Yeah. Why not? So now that you've fun. got this book down, and you mentioned having other, other characters and other places in town that are screaming mm-hmm. for their stories, who's screaming the loudest? Oh, right now, well, there's two. Vidi, who owns the bakery, but Claire, okay. is who owns the yarn shop. She's the one. And there's this really beautiful shop that I thought of. And um, it's really a yarn and home store shop. And I actually modeled it after this shop in Kinsale, Ireland, called Granny's Bottom Drawer um, okay. that we visited when we were there a couple years ago. And um, they have beautiful knitwork and everything, and Claire is Irish. She's an Irish transplant into Angel Harbor, and she's been there a while, and she has this beautiful store, and she's very quiet and very sweet and um, a little sad. We don't know why, but I want Mm -hmm. to explore that. I want to know why she's sad. Like, I haven't figured it out yet, but she is, and I wonder what's under it all. Right. So she's the one that would, would go first. I would give her something first. Oh, yeah. I think Beatty needs to settle a little bit. I love it. Are these, and now yeah. when you have your buildings and you've got the bookstore, you've got the yarn shop, you've got the bakery, are they within what, I mean, they're pretty close to each other. Everything's in walking distance. And, right. And, they, and then the, the store that I actually modeled after a real store in town is the candy shop. Um, and there's okay. a shop in town called Carl's Candies. In Northport, and the girls, the women who own it, named it after their grandfather. Um, and they have this—they have all this vintage candy, like all the stuff you used to get when you were a kid, you know, the oh, wax wow. lips and everything else, as well as handmade chocolates. Um, 
but Gina, who is there most of the time, um, I actually put her in the book. She's in there. And one of the things they do at Christmas, and they took this over from the hardware store when they retired, is they have a whole big Christmas pageant the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and they light the leg lamp from a Christmas story in the candy shop window. Oh, wow. It's great. The high school band comes out, the kick line, the place is mobbed, (laughs) the whole town gets lit up. It's amazing. It's so much fun. And it's, you know, I had my, my friend up in, um, in Maine, um, she mm-hmm. talked about how they would light up the lobster traps. Oh, yeah. So it was like a tree, and they would, yeah, light up the lobster. It's just like all these really cool moments in these smaller towns yeah. that, um, I mean, nothing that knocks the big towns because, you know, like huge Christmas trees and such. Oh, but, sure, I mean, there absolutely. is some sort of, I don't know, um, you know, just a, a comfort, I guess, in, in seeing mm-hmm. everybody come together and, you know, lighting up the leg lamp at the, at the candy shop. Lighting I up mean. the leg lamp at the candy store and lighting up the whole <laughs> pier and the, the harbor park and then the boat parades that happen with everybody's boats all lit up and Santa coming in. And it's just great. It's fun. It's And it's part of our identity. Um, yeah. And that's what I love so much is that these are all things that we these are these are those common threads. It's the context that makes small towns special. It's the shared history, and when people have shared history, that's when connections are formed, and that's when those settings come to life because right. you have that context, that history, that those shared experiences that people can relate to, and. I mean, that's really what forms relationships. It forms friendships. It forms romantic relationships. It forms parent-child relationships. It forms everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's just, it is. It's like a snuggling down in a really comfortable chair mm-hmm. with a great cup of whatever and, you know, yep. falling into these wonderfully comfortable, lovely moments. Um, mm-hmm. so, you, so you've got this, this, you're working, you're thinking about the next book, what else do you have coming? What other projects um, do you have? Next year, Compass Cove number four comes out, um, and okay. it's going to be a Christmas book. Okay. So I'm really excited. Um, cool. I just I just locked that down with Thule, and it's probably going to be November of next year. So okay. we're just we're just working out the details, but um, so Compass Cove number four. Um, I think we have a title but I don't want to reveal it too soon but that's what I'm working on right now and then I'm hoping I can get an Angel Harbor book also done this year Um, Compass Co. 4 is going like it's actually kind of flying out of my fingers which is really nice for a change and um, I should have time to do another book and then I also I have my book Until You which came out in 2015 which was an older woman younger man hockey romance Um, right and so many people have been clamoring for a story about my heroine's daughter. Well, she was only 17 at the time, and now that she's more grown up, they've wanted right. to get her love story that she got involved with somebody and they want to know what happened. So because they had to break up at the end, and they said, are you ever going to bring them back together? And I was like, yeah, I really have to write that. <laughs> so I really have to write that. Um, it's just, it's been, you know, it's been, it's been a full, I have a full plate, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, 
I don't hate my job. You know, people say, oh, the day job, do you want to leave it? And I'm like, I really, I'm going to retire in a few years because, you know, I've been at this a long time, but I don't hate my work. You know, I right. like teaching. I like being a, a school librarian. So I do put in a lot of time, you know, doing it. And, and I don't, I don't detest it. I hate getting up at 530 in the morning. That's about the worst sure. of it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So have a lot of kids been reading, you know, during the lockdowns, pandemics? I mean, have you seen a lot more kids wanting books? Uh, I wish I could say yes. Um, okay. But I think part of the problem is, is that for we, we have a very big print book collection, and we the public libraries were great in helping us hook the kids up with um, Libby, which is the OverDrive app um, that public libraries can use. Um, and we were trying to get the kids all hooked up with that, but they're so they're very resistant to ebooks unless they mm-hmm. absolutely have to. Um, so we're actually instituting an ebook program through my school library at this point. Um, so I'm hoping that um, they'll get more used to the format and being able to borrow books on the fly. That maybe that'll right. make it easier for them because it's more convenient. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, we always have readers. We we always have kids who read, and those kids are are going to read. Um, mm-hmm. It's I find that we have really good results with kids in elementary school reading, and something happens between middle school and high school. You know, when they get into middle school, when they get to high school, that kills it, mm-hmm. and I can't figure out what it is. Um, so my goal is, and I know the middle school librarian's goals is to keep keep them reading. And I, I'm in a big district. We have three middle schools and two high schools. Um, so we're all working together to try to keep them moving. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to know that too because, you know, yeah. I remember just reading constantly, but my parents were yeah. big readers. So um, right. I don't know if we get too obsessed with, like, the homework goes up or – uh, grades or you know like extracurriculars or what that deters that reading time. I think it's a yeah. combination of the extracurriculars, the changes in the in in how their their content is being delivered. You know the mm-hmm. classes they go to, and I think it's also the social piece. I mean, you know, and we have to we have to recognize the fact that this developmentally they're social animals at that age, and they're right. going through a lot of flux and trying to figure out who they are and. You know, reading books is not is on the bottom of the list of you know. Well, am I going to be included with this group of kids? Because if I'm not, then I'm nobody. So mm-hmm. I I think that there's probably that, and and I think the way their brains are wired, I think that they get great they get those endorphin hits from things like Snapchat and Instagram and other stuff rather than getting them from other places. Yeah, they don't even really well, watch movies yeah. or TV, which I find fascinating. Like really? They, I'll say to them, yeah, and I'll say, well, okay, you, you need a book for an independent read. What do you like to, what's the last movie you watched that you really liked? Oh, I really don't watch movies. I'm going, you don't? Do you watch Netflix? Nah, not really. I watch things mm. on my phone. Like, I watch YouTube. I do this, and I'm like, and they don't. And I'll say, well, what TV show do you like? I don't watch TV. I'm like, really? They don't. Wow. They really don't. It's it's the content is delivered to their 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 palms and it goes it's rapid fire and it switches every few minutes and so i think because of that they don't ever it's hard for them to engage in long something that takes longer attention span 
Right. I think that's part of it. I think it's developmental. I think it changes over time, but it's hard. It's hard for yeah, them. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm always time. surprised when I meet adults that are like, yeah, I'm not really a big reader. I'm like, well, okay, what is the last book you read? Oh, it, it, they're too long. I just I just read magazines mm-hmm. sometimes. I'm just, yeah. I think, really? <laughs> you know, no, some people are just like that. I mean, I, I, you'd, you'd think I, I, re- I raised readers. My two daughters don't read a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, my one daughter has two small children, so I kind of get it, but my other daughter doesn't. Right. But her thing is, I work like 12 hours a day, Mom. She goes, I come home, I'm tired. Yeah. And she's right. That's true. I'm thinking that, you know, when things settle for them or things change, they'll figure it out. But my son is my reader. He's the one that, that um, he's 27, and he's the one that still will you know, come digging for a book or go to the library or check something out or buy something on his Kindle. And, you know, he's my reader. He's always reading something. Like, you know, oh, I just read a Bukowski novel. I just read Chuck Palahniuk. I just read this. Oh, did you read that, Mom? You know, I'm like, oh, no, I didn't read that one. But, okay. Oh, I just <laughs> I just took out a, a, a Kant book, Immanuel Kant from the library. I'm going, what? Like, <laughs> but that's who he is. That's just who yeah. he is. And yeah. I just I've accepted that. My daughters are not that way. He's my artist too. So yeah. they're all different. Well, Raised in the same house, all different. different. And you, and you just mentioned the graphic art for, and we have about three minutes. But mm-hmm. um, it's it's one of those things that I think about initially when I was looking at graphic novels. I'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, really. But um, it's it's definitely a way for key, to keep kids engaged in reading stories I agree. because. Um, those visual cues sometimes they need it, uh, especially kids who mm-hmm. have issues with dyslexia and everything else. That visual cue it keeps them engaged yeah. in the story. So I was a big um, comic book reader when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Yeah. My father was a music teacher. He had a private studio, and he used to keep a stock of of comics in his waiting area. And I would be down there all the time. I was reading comic books. So somebody says, oh, so what did you read, like Archie and Veronica or whatever? I was like, oh, hell no. I, want, I read Marvel. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I was like, I was a, in D.C., I was that I was a Wonder Woman fan. You know, when, yeah. when Captain Marvel came out a couple of years ago, like, I could tell my husband the history. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was what I did. But Well, that was funny you say that because when at the very end of um, – Oh, Infinity War, and you know it mm-hmm. popped up on the the beeper, and I was like, oh my god, you know, because we were in the theater, and I said, yeah. like, yes, and um, I and my husband who was never, you know, a big superhero mm-hmm. guy, he says, so who is that? And I was like, it's Captain Marvel, and mm-hmm. he's like, well, what does he do? I said, oh, she, you know, she, <laughs> was like, he got a whole earful of <laughs> the whole she? drive home. <laughs> Hello, she. I know. Yeah, I know. Believe That's me, what I said to my now. husband. He's... He said, "Did you hear they're going to make Captain Marvel a woman?" I went, "Duh, Captain yeah. Marvel is a woman." Like, <laughs> but yeah, but I think the thing about comics is they, it's story. You know, and graphic <laughs> graphic novels are story, and they can be powerful stories too. Yeah, you know, if they you've can. ever seen Persepolis, and it's powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, I really you. appreciate you. Yeah. And so if you want to find Jeannie, she is on her Facebook. She's on Facebook, 
Twitter, Instagram, BookBub, and her website. And she, and you can go find her at Jeannie Moon. That's J E A. N-N-I-E, moon, just like the moon, dot com. You've got all her books right there. You could sign up for her her newsletter, get all the chocolate chip cookie recipe, all yep. sorts of fun stuff like that. So you can find her. So And when you have your next one out, please come, please come back and talk to us. I would love to. I'll come back and talk to you anytime. You know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. All right. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio talking to the best-selling author, Jeannie Moon. And if you haven't yet, please go vote because you don't want to stand in line for hours and hours and hours on Election Day. Do it early if you can. And stay safe out there, everybody. Keep on reading. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.